halfway around the world, fresh off of a incredible looking honeymoon and wedding. And again, congratulations on on that. Uh, Lauren Ungeldi, I get it right? You did great. <laughs> is joining us today all the way from Turkey. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Jeff? I'm good. Thank you so much for doing this. I know um, the scheduling, we had to kind of get it right. And then you had a, a crazy couple of weeks with the wedding and people coming into town and um, just a big celebration of life. And, and it looked, uh, the Instagram pictures are amazing. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so jealous. Like I went out of town for like one day for my honeymoon and you had this huge <laughs> trip. It looked awesome. How was it? Uh, it was fantastic. So the wedding was actually on the Aegean Sea. And then for the post-wedding trip, we rented a car and just drove the coastline of the Aegean. And so many incredible ancient cities are there. Like we think Greece when we think ancient cities, but Turkey, I mean, the city of Olympus is here. The Olympus fire, which is actually fire just forever burning off the side of the mountain, hiked two hours to see it. The fire never stops. You just go, it's a cliffside and fire's just coming out of the rock. It's a, a natural wonder that I didn't even know existed in science, to be honest with you. Um, and it was the first original Olympus fire uh, that was used in the first Olympics game. All of it's here in Turkey, who knew? So uh, wow. pretty great. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't believe the photos when I was looking at it. I was showing my wife. I was like, look at this. Tell her anniversary trip to Turkey. <laughs> yeah, she's a... Uh she's beaten down the door on going to Europe and I kind of been like, okay, let's go to Scotland and we'll go on the, the scotch, you know, uh, whiskey tour. And yeah, so it's great. I've been tired. I did an Ireland whiskey tour uh, and it was amazing. It really it? great. It's a bunch of old men in pubs just waiting for you to sit at their table and drink whiskey <laughs> with them. So. Yeah. <laughs> <You're wrong. laughs> But this isn't, uh, you live in Turkey currently, but this you've traveled all around the world, right? Yeah. So starting about two years ago, so I had done a lot of international travel, but starting two years ago, I actually sold my house in Texas and went full-time as a, as they say, digital nomad, if you want to use the, the term that's flying around these days, um, on the road. And so I was writing full-time. I was working on my fourth and fifth book project at that point. And travel went along with it. So that looks like uh, renting a house in different locations for anywhere from one to three months. And it, it gets you off of the vacation track and really into an immersion into the local community culture. So started with Costa Rica, three months there, at one at a little coastal village and then um, under the shadow of a volcano, right in the jungle, tropical house, walking every day to the fruit market, sleeping with... Uh, lizards woke up with a centipede crawling on my cheek into my mouth one night <laughs> so lots of adventures but then all through portugal and greece and all over europe and uh since then spent some time in africa and the middle east as well wow so um let's back up a little bit and how did you become when did it when was the day or how did it kind of say okay i'm going to start writing and i'm going to move around the world yeah, so my first book uh, 
Legion Rising was for a company commander in the Iraq war. Uh, you're good friends with them, Jeff Morris. And uh, at the time I was running a full blown health and wellness nutrition company in that was based in Tyler, Texas. And that's actually what I went to school for. It's what I'm certified in. And I was doing a lot with CrossFit. I was doing a lot with nutrition and actually through CrossFit is where I met Jeff Morris. And he said, I just wrote a short piece for him and uh it was to be a promotion he was doing some speaking at crossfit gyms all around the the country and i interviewed him i wrote a short piece because i'd done a lot of writing but it was more still a hobby it wasn't my full-time career at the time and then he sent me a message and he said have you ever considered writing a full-length book and i said actually yes it's something i'd always really wanted to do and so i continued to run my health and wellness company while simultaneously writing his book. It was a busy time uh, and that book did great. It took off and ever after that, I just had a steady stream of referrals and networking that came about and I became really a full-time ghostwriter and I love what I do. So eventually that led to selling the health and wellness company and then the adventure called and I said, you know, nothing is tying me here to this city anymore and it was uh, a chance at a fresh start and so traveled and wrote full-time and one of the most wonderful and exhausting years of my life to be honest with you traveling is fantastic but then also there's just the logistics of constant moving around of learning a new culture new language you learn a couple words you get like a, a few things you learn to get by at the local market and then you start over again in a new language you know and so but very rewarding and for sure expanded my perspective on humanity and on me i understood that the little bubble i grew up in the worlds that we are used to even in the just take the united states it's one small fraction of this earth and there are humans living in all kinds of ways they live work and play in many different ways than we're used to and so it's humbling uh it teaches you a lot and it definitely expanded my perspectives in a way that i would never change and i can't imagine not just the culture, but the, like the laws, like the laws, yeah. the way they change, not just getting used to, you know, in different countries laws, but, you know, comparing them to us law and then moving on to another one. And then their laws, like I can't, uh, almost can't wrap my head around how confusing that could be. Did you, sure. did you, was that a big challenge too? Or was it kind of, is it not as you know, tedious as it sounds. I'll be honest, in, in my opinion, the most surprising part is actually the opposite of that, which is you go in with more cautionary tales and fear and this feeling that something's gonna go wrong because you hear the big stories, you hear the ones where something goes terribly wrong. And I found that there's more relatable to the sweet woman in the tiny village of Costa Rica or in Africa or anywhere across the world than the differences there. And I found that places are more friendly than I had imagined them to be. 
But for sure, there's some things that are surprising, like driving in Costa Rica, the mountain uh, roads are, they call it the monkey trail, and, and they're very rough. They're very narrow. You're on the side of cliffs. And once I'm driving and I look to the side and there's a, a group of people around there and they're bent over and this woman was just, it's a dead body in the middle of the road. And that's something you don't see in the United States every day. And so there's some of those surprising things that you see, you see a child in, in a bad position or you see someone that you want to help or fix, but then you learn to take a position of curiosity because at first something reads as scary. And so I saw a bunch of police and everything is lined up and I'm thinking something's going wrong in Istanbul. And then I understand it's just a peaceful protest that they're doing for um, women's rights. And actually something, a beautiful thing took place that day, but I read it as something scary because of my Americanized perspective. And then I understood that actually these women are my sisters. It was beautiful, it was very peaceful, a wonderful thing to be a part of. And so I learned not to label things too quickly. Uh, and, and that, that definitely taught me a lot. I can definitely see how living in the Middle East would be like that. Um, almost yeah. kind of passing the judgment, um, mm -hmm. reading the book, you know, only by its cover, you know, and, mm -hmm. and having those challenges and, and getting used to a different culture, especially, you know, coming from Texas, where Texas is almost its own culture, you know, <laughs> there's 49 states and then there's Texas, you know, so, um, that is true. you know, I could definitely see that. Where's, uh, where's like the most memorable place you've lived? Uh, so I would say the Portuguese islands, the Azores islands, uh, are truly, in my opinion, some of the most beautiful places on earth. It's a, a collection of small islands and take like Hawaii and then mix it with Spain and a little bit of, I don't know, like an evergreen forest and this little love child makes up the Azores islands and it's beautiful. It's wonderful. So that was really one of my favorite places. Um, for shorter amounts of time to visit, I really liked Africa so much. It's different, definitely different. That Hakuna Matata lifestyle, I thought Hakuna Matata was just from Lion King, okay, but no. They actually say this on the daily to you, Hakuna Matata, Hakuna Matata. And it really, it's a slow culture. So it takes some time to get used to it. First, you're thinking like everything's moving at a slower pace, but then it's really detoxing for the soul. It's it's good. And so it's, it's enjoyable. But visiting is one thing, living full time is another that, and I've, I've been in Turkey for over a year now. And that when you're day to day doing it, you're not hearing any native English speakers. So even the English speakers are speaking to you as a second language. So the sentence structure is quite different. Uh, and I've even noted my own language changing a little bit just because I'm speaking all the time with non, with non-native English speakers. And my husband is eight generation Istanbulian and he's got a wonderful, beautiful little Turkish accent, but it creates some funny scenarios, right? Because he's saying something and he thinks he's being clear and I'm hearing something totally different. So like we're up in the mountains and, and we're way by the Black Sea and he turns to me and he says, babe, I want to do a rough thing. And I was like, you want to do a rough thing? And he said, I want to do a rough thing. And I was like, to me? And he's yeah. like, you? And I was like, to who? Like, who, who made you angry? To them? Like, who made you angry? He said, babe, I'm by a river. I want to do a rough thing. 
And I was like, why is the river making you want to do a rough thing? And then I understood he's saying rafting, rafting. Uh -huh. I want to do <laughs> rafting, but in his Tinglish, as we call it, Turkish English, it sounds like rafting. Oh. And I do rafting. We laugh so much. We, we couldn't so still. We're saying he'll just randomly day to day, you know, like, I want to do a rough thing. <laughs> we understand. So it's uh, that in and of itself presents some very interesting and funny moments where you're using Google Translate. And uh, one of the taxi drivers tried to ask me on a date using Google Translate. It's a woman's voice. He speaks Turkish and he puts it in the back seat. And it's a woman's voice, right? And it says, hello, you are beautiful. Your eyes look like a green salad. And I'm sitting there like, why do my eyes look like a salad? And I tell my husband this, and he said the word for greens and salad are the same in Turkish. And so it's translating as like, you have salad eyes. You look like a cabbage. And I'm laughing. The guy's getting more courage like it's working. She likes me. I'm sure this, oh, this is good. So anyway, lots of adventures. Lots of adventures. That is, uh, <laughs> that's funny. But it's good to know that like, you know how those Hollywood stigmas are not really there. It's it's uh, it's it's a unique and fun culture, and there's not a bunch of bad guys hanging around every corner. And you know, obviously, you jump in a taxi, and he's trying to be familiar, acknowledges your beauty, and all that. And I think that's that's very cool, charismatic, and has character. And it's not this nonsense we see on TV all the time, and that it's actually. Yeah, and a lot of things. And I would say chivalry and the, the art of being a gentleman is still very alive in Turkey in a way that it was maybe back in the 80s in the US. Like for women and children are very, very well cared for. You give up your seat, you offer her this. And I don't know, the next generation of American men kind of lost it, if, in my opinion, in the 20s, didn't have that same sense of strong protection. And here in Istanbul, like as far as people think there's a lot of crime or these things, there's never been one serial killer in the entire history of Istanbul. There's very low mental health, I think because of the Mediterranean diet actually and constant walking. Um, and there's very, very low rates of rape or incest or these things happening. And it's because one person does it, the entire neighborhood of men have their own, let's say, uh, ways of taking care of that. But you don't, themselves. yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's not tolerated, we will say here. And so actually I feel quite safe. I've had more sketchy scenarios happen to me in Houston, Texas, hundred percent than ever living here in Istanbul. That's good. To, that's good to hear. I try to teach my boys that I try to teach yeah. my boys the importance of, you know, the two most important women in their life are their mom and their sister. And I like it. It's, it's, it's perfectly fine to open doors for them and for strangers and to be a gentleman first. And, sure. um, I don't want that to die. I, I do see it dying sure. with this generation, even with my yeah. generation, you know, it's just not there as much. And I've really tried to enforce that with my, my boys and say, you know, yeah. the two most important people, women in your life should always be your mom and your sister. Yeah. And, and of course your grandmas. It. And of course, uh, of course, that's great. That's great. So let's uh let's talk writing. And I um I really admire you for what you do. Um and a lot of people think that in order to be a successful author, you have to have your name plastered in big bold sure. letters on a front cover. And yeah. that isn't necessarily true. 
It is sure. true, but it isn't true. There's a lot of people out there that are very, very successful mm-hmm. and have their name in the credits or in smaller print or sure. they do, or they don't have it on there at all. Um, Under an NDA, actually, there's a couple of mine that I can't actually disclose. I'm the writer on. Yeah. Right. And, and so, yeah. But very successful. Those books have done well. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a successful career. Obviously, you've traveled the world. You're doing it full time. But um, yeah. let's talk about how became like a story captor and then let's talk about what a what exactly a collaborative writer is and, and compare it to ghostwriting. Yeah. So as I told you, you know, my first book was for Jeff Morris and uh, Company Commander in the Iraq War. And it's really uh, not just a war story, but much more about understanding the mind of someone who's been through severe combat and seen some things that are hard to deal with upon arriving back home. And so I have no military background, but I continue to find myself connected to the military community and have done multiple books that involve military members, whether that be a SEAL member or that be a company commander. And uh, it's an interesting world for me. I I don't base my writing on politics, but I am very drawn to stories of human triumph, whatever role and whatever form that takes that makes my writing amazing. And so I've done some on uh, drug addiction and suicide prevention for a man who actually, he pulled the trigger, he put a gun to his head, he pulled it and the gun just misfired, that one time misfired and he lived and he understood I have a purpose to fulfill on this earth and he does a lot of speaking about mental health and drug recovery. And so that was one of my stories I did. I've done one for many military members, but stories of people who have been through something very significant and they found it within them to find the power of choice to make something great when life had given them something really hard to deal with. And I I find that to be a continual theme, even through all my books, they're very different, to be a continual theme throughout all of those. And so my first book, I just went for it, I did it. And um, to be a collaborative writer is very different because you're not just channeling your own thoughts, but you're actually becoming someone. And you're writing, I was writing in first person, I'm writing, you know, I pulled the trigger, I came around the side, you know, the IED blew up and I could feel the shrapnel in my skin and in my flesh. I'm saying I, I, I. And what you find is that you actually form a very deep connection to the story. And in order to capture a sense of authenticity, you really have to immerse yourself into the mind, into the thought, into the feeling. So it's like part acting, I would say, and then being able to take that and then be a a wordsmith to put it on the page. So ghostwriting is really a two-part thing that's quite different, I would say, than just, I want to write a book about, you know, being gluten-free, so I'm going to like say my thoughts about being gluten-free. It's different when you're actually becoming multiple people. Uh, But I love it. I find uh, my writing is best when I'm doing that. With Jeff's book, my first one, I actually began to dream in his memories. And that was a weird thing. I would wake up and I'm living his memories that he showed me and he had head camera footage. He had a lot of photography that he brought back with him and I was dreaming in those images. And so it does become somewhat part of you. And I end up lifelong friends with anyone that I work with. I've done eight now and I always end up very close friends with, with those individuals and I'm better for it. Honestly, I've learned something from every single person I've written for. 
what is uh what is maybe the biggest challenge behind collaborative writing and um maybe not necessarily being right next door with the individual you're working with as opposed to you know i'm writing my own fiction books now um i sit right, right here and i write them with just me um when i wrote yeah. my leadership book i wrote it just me you know i called some people and asked some opinions but when you're trying to tell someone else's story and yeah. you're not necessarily right there. What's the what's the big challenge behind trying to do that and and get that authenticity yeah. still? Sure. So I require that I spend in person time with every single person I write for, and at least I spend a twenty four to seventy two hour stint just immersing myself in watching them watching micro expressions, watching where their eyes move, watching how they're saying what they're saying. Um, if they're a very famous media personality, so they have a radio show or they're uh, on network television a lot, then I watch them continually. They're always in my ear. Every time I'm doing a CrossFit workout, every time I'm going for a long run, they are in my ear. So I hear the way they make jokes the way that they talk, the way that they say everything. So in that sense, as I said, it's like becoming an actor actress where you're becoming a character because if I need to sound like a hardened military mem member, maybe my humor is not the same, let's say, mm -hmm. <laughs> as military memoirs where everything's an F word this and an F word that and that's this and the ass and this and that. Like it's colorful, let's say, and I have to become that. And so I learn their behaviors, their mind, how they work, and it's an immersion process. And so I do have to be in person with them. And then I am able to scope out the book. And then after that, we usually do weekly or biweekly interviews. Everything's recorded. And I walk them through just one section of the content because most people don't know how to tell you their whole life story and draw it out in a way that will work for a book. A book is a long, long, long writing process, as you know. Yep. And it's not like writing an article. And so I'm able to very effectively create a safe space for them, ask them engaging questions, and then lead them through whatever section of the content that I need from the week to week until all the whole project's done and finished. Uh, so, but it isn't, it's involved. You can't just pull out a laptop and start. I do a, an immense amount of work on the front end just to capture their voice and authenticity. It's not just transcribing what they're saying, you know, it's, it's really bringing them to life and saying the things they don't actually know to say sometimes too. And when you're dealing with trauma and I deal with a lot of very tough subjects, some with human trafficking, some with active combat, um, you have to really create space where you're listening. And then you also sometimes are saying the things that you know they're thinking and they're telling you with their eyes, but they don't know how to say it yet. And that is why they need a writer, is not to say just what they're saying, but to also say the things that they're trying to say. And uh, it's a weight though, it's a responsibility because when you're dealing with a legacy, um, piece, uh, memoir, or you're dealing with someone's trauma to speak for them, to become their voice. I don't take that lightly. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think there's nothing more weighty actually. It's a huge weight. I feel to do it justice. And I would say that's a hard part. And I feel some, when they read the manuscript for the first time and I get a phone call that says, Lauren, I feel like you're in my head. You said the things that I've been trying to say for years, but I couldn't find the right words. 
then I want to cry. It's a relief because I've been carrying this weight of trying to do justice to their story. And so it's it's beautiful, but it is, uh, I feel it until I birth it. It's like a pregnancy. And until I birth the project, I feel that weight on my shoulders. It's almost therapeutic for them to finally get yeah. those things yeah. out. Absolutely. Without the burden of trying to get it out, you know, and it's almost, yeah. it's, almost it's a beautiful yeah. thing really. But, um, my question, my follow-up question to that is when you're working with them, um, I'm assuming this is going to fluctuate. You're writing <laughs> expectations of the individual. Um, mm -hmm. How much of it is collaborative process, like as far as creativity and thought, mm -hmm. how much of it is you expecting them to actually put words to paper? I've never had a single one of my clients write one word. I've written every single word. Okay. I've never actually had them do some. And so maybe I will have a project someday that actually they offer some. Sometimes maybe they have some emails they can send me, some journal entries they can send me. Um, they can help tweak a little bit of the writing once it's in the flow. But I am really work ex with more exclusive clients who are looking for me to really take on all of the writing process and to really come up with an idea. And in my opinion, here's here's my my theory. Sometimes the people who are the very best speakers, public speakers, um, their gifting does not lie in the writing process. They're much better vocally. And so sometimes those individuals who are actually quite gifted, quite popular, they need someone with a different skill set. I, I don't find that it often goes together. People who are very, very gifted speakers um, often need someone with a different skill set to come in and actually do the writing process for a book. And it doesn't mean they're a bad writer necessarily, but to write a full length book and to do a story justice, it's just different skill sets let's say working on a podcast often means late nights editing preparing for guests and constant marketing i need something reliable great tasting and of course veteran owned to keep me fueled and at my best and red white and badass brew coffee keeps me rolling it doesn't matter if it's a long night of writing preparing for the next podcast episode or just that first hot cup in the morning these guys have my back Check them out today at redwhiteandbadassbrew.com and find out why their brews are as bold as the American spirit. Yeah, I've, um, I went to BoucherCon in September, which is a thriller yeah. writers fiction conference. And, right. Um, it was very interesting to go there. It was my first time going, and I was trying to just absorb more about fiction writing, um, the different mm -hmm. genres of fiction from military and spies all the way to southern gothic and and mystery and crime and yeah. uh, i'm just talking with all these different writers and these editors and in in the fiction world um you know collaborative writing and ghost writing tends to be a little bit more of a negative word like oh you didn't write your own stuff sure um, sure which i guess i can kind of see because of like it's a create it's more of a creativity yeah. telling yeah. making up a story as opposed sure. to, you know, nonfiction where you're telling, an, you know, a, a biography, yeah. you're telling a real life story, you're recounting events. And uh, yeah, it was weird to see how opposite that was. And that is true. Yeah. I would say know, in the fiction and fiction world, it's quite different perceptions. It is. And I was like, well, at the same time, like, there could be some great people out there with some really great ideas. They just, they can't. Yeah they can't type and organize themselves and they got to have help. 
so I could see sure. I could see it yeah. both ways, but it was definitely a different yeah. It was a naughty word, I, <laughs> you know. I would say that in the fiction world it's different because you want to be the thought originator of a fiction book. It's part of the prestige, I would say, of writing fiction is that you are the, also the thought originator and the executor of the project, where most of our very um, famous people that we look up to, you take, you know, the president, our presidents, our main media figures, when they release a book, very, very few of them penned the words. They are working with someone. Yes. And it's because sometimes maybe you've lived a really remarkable life. Maybe you are a top, one of my books was for a company that is like really one of the very top logistics companies in all of the United States, almost billion dollar company, amazing team they have, but creative writing just isn't the, it's not their gifting. It's not their skill set, let's right. say. And so when you're writing memoir, when you're writing nonfiction, uh, the same individuals that may be just rock stars in one area of life may not be your person to write, you know, 80,000 words uh, on a page and, and it sound really good. And so I think it's kind of two different things. But I will say on the fiction, people are, would be surprised to know that some of the most famous fiction authors, I know they're ghostwriters. Oh, yeah. And we don't, we, there's a little ghostwriters anonymous groups that go around together. We know each other. We know who we're working for, let's say. And I know I've done all nonfiction so far, but some of my friends have done fiction. And so some of these big releases you see on New York times that are done by your favorite author may or may not be written by your favorite author, let's say. I so there's, there's a little juicy, of that. juicy rumors about some people that I was yeah. just made my yeah. jaw drop. And I was like, you've got to be yeah. kidding me. Yeah. It's surprising, actually. It's it quite is. surprising. It's yeah, it's really surprising. But you know, yeah. on the other hand, like, you know, when you're the president of the United States and you do two terms, it's eight years, where people are writing every word you're saying. Yeah, yeah. You're not getting out of the White House and going and kicking back in a lawn chair and writing your memoir. You have no yeah. idea how to write. Somebody's no, no. giving you the words for eight years. Yeah. You need help, so. Different skill set, different skill set. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. So you have eight books now. Is that including the really cool project you have coming out next? <laughs> that is including that one. So um, I have I have two that are on my website right now. Like I said, some of them I'm under non-NDAs. So I cannot disclose who I've written for. Um, Legion Rising is out. It's on Amazon and it's readily available. It's on my website. Um, my other one, Not Those People, which is the one on mental health and drug recovery, which I mentioned, is also there. And then my next project, which I'm quite excited about, is the true story, the untold story of Saddam Hussein's private pilot. And he was a young Iraqi uh, who is one of the top pilots at the time. And he was tasked with flying the royal family. And so this is it is a very colorful, very fast paced book that tells some of the crazy stories of the things he lived being up close and personal with someone like Saddam Hussein, seeing the dictator in his underwear and then shaking, thinking he was going to be killed on the spot for, you know, accidentally intruding upon this personal moment that he's having and um, flying uh, Saddam's half brother into a sandstorm because under death threat, he said, we can't fly. There's a sandstorm and under death threat, he said, you will fly today. And so you're flying thinking you're going to crash at any moment, but do you face 
the guy is going to kill you that's your passenger? Or do you face the sandstorm? Some of these unthinkable scenarios, uh, flying into Somalia in the middle of a coup d'etat, having to refuel his plane by hand by cups, cupfuls, a whole plane just to make it out. And then eventually uh, an assassination attempt that happened. He received three death notices and an assassination attempt, blew his house to shreds, and then him attempting to flee the country. So the book takes many turns. I couldn't come up with this stuff if I decided to write a fiction, to be honest with you. It is engaging. It's interesting. And it sheds a different light. I think we've heard a lot about our American men and women that served during that time and the, the subsequent years after that. But now we're getting a window into these noble Iraqis, these good men he's trying to provide for his family. And he's tasked with flying someone that he hates the evil that's going down. He hates the, the things that are happening to his own countrymen. And um, even one of his uh, distant relatives was uh, brutally killed by Saddam's orders. And so, but yet you're right next to them in the same plane. And so I think throughout history, you've had these scenarios where you have a very brutal dictator and then you have the people being forced to serve next to them and under them, trying to navigate the waters of providing for a family of survival and also just having to hold in the feelings that you feel of hatred and suppression. And so uh, there's a lot to this story and then uh, ultimate immigration to the United States and what that was like as well. And uh, so one of my favorites that I've ever written, I'm very excited and that that'll come out here in the next couple of months. Oh man, I can't, I really, really want it. What's the title going to be? Have they figured that out yet? Our working title is flying the tyrant. Next time, next couple of months, sometime before the holidays, the turn of the year. That's the hope. That's the hope is to get it out. I'm working with the cover editors right now and just the final pieces, as you know, that can be a process. Yes. Uh, but I'm hopeful we will have it out as maybe a Christmas present uh, by by December. Yeah, it is. When we met previously before we, you know, decided to uh, record and do this, when we were talking about it. I was just I was just like, man. That's that's an incredible story. That's some juicy details about such a massive time in not yeah. just Iraq but in the world. And yeah. that's pulling back that curtain. I was like, oh, I can I cannot wait to read this one for sure because yeah. it just yeah. sounds not just an incredible story, but like I can't imagine what was it like. What was it like working with him? And you know, because you. you you want to spend time with, you know, the people you sure. work with. Um, sure. What was it like working with him and, and trying to draw this out? Yeah. So, you know, I, I didn't have expectation of what it would be like to work with him. And as it turns out, I would say he is one of the kindest and funniest people I have ever met. And he uh, is just, he would make me laugh. He was always full of jokes the entire time he's talking, if you really listen to him. But it's two different mindsets. It's two different worlds that we're coming into. So for me to even be able to get into the mindset and begin to ask the questions, he tells the story as if it's no big deal. And then I walked across the street to get ice from my neighbor. I look back and... Five men have surrounded my house and machine gun fire has started and all the walls are blown to pieces. And I'm, oh, okay. So, okay. You know, and that was my third death notice. I got two deaths 
before then, then that was my third. And so calmly, he's just, it's his life. But what I will say that I, I've seen with working with different clients is that we do normalize anything we've been through. My men who've seen some really harsh combat where you're trying to hold the pieces of a human skull together and you're trying to save somebody's life, some very unthinkable things are normalized if you have been through them. And so for me, it's uh, drawing out the extraordinary from him. And actually, I didn't even get to put all the stories in the book. There were so many to choose from, from so many crazy things that he lived. Uh, but the working process was great. And he would just randomly send me, he, he plays the piano beautifully. And so he just record himself playing the piano. He's like, this is to help your writing process. I just wanted to record a video. He's the kindest, gentlest soul ever pictures of his grandkids, pictures of his daughters who are rock stars, so successful in the medical field in the United States. And so uh, surprisingly beautiful. And I, I, I have a lifelong friend. I will call him up sometimes and just, how are you doing? It's like, ah, I've been missing our chats, you know? Uh, and so we're lifelong friends now. So it's, it's remarkable. Was there much of a, um, a language barrier, a, a challenge there? How did that kind of work? Uh, his English is perfect. Um, and, and I would say that I have grown accustomed to hearing English and many different, let's say, beautiful accents. I, I'm married to someone, as I said, the rough thing, <laughs> that many, many different types of accents. And so I have trained myself to, and especially going around the world so much, to be able to hear and understand very well. And so uh, it wasn't much of a problem for he and I. I think um I think the story sounds amazing. Um what uh are you at liberty to say kind of what time period some of this took place in? Was this more towards the Gulf War yeah. in the nineties oh, oh. or towards nine eleven? Yeah, so it's more towards Gulf War, but then he stayed, that was his primary time. Obviously, that's the time when you're working with Saddam. So um, he was there, but then he remained in Iraq for an extended amount of time. And then one of the things that we don't think about is that in the later periods, when you're talking about Baghdad, where he and his family lived, and he's got very young children and begins to fear for their safety. And so the opportunity comes because his, his wife's parents were in the United States. They found a way to get the wife and his daughters to the United States. And so then he has to make the excruciating decision as a father to send wife and children to live in a different country and only being able to see them very, not, not so much for several years, but because of their education and safety, he made that choice. But yeah, I mean, you and I are parents. We understand. I don't, I cannot imagine holding my daughter close, feeling her heartbeat and then putting her on a plane and saying, this is for your good. And so we don't think about what the Iraqi people were going through at that time, trying to do the best for their children. And that was some very hard times that he had to make. And there's one story in there that I cried when I wrote it about him. There was a training that took place for pilots inside the United States. He got into the United States and they let him stay for an extra week or two just to make Christmas with his family. And they didn't know he was coming. He didn't want to disappoint him if, they, if he got turned back at Border Patrol, but they, they let him through. They gave him an extension. And he's driving with his taxi there and 
opening the door and his daughters are screaming. He hasn't seen them in almost a year. And so it's the flip side. We see this of our American soldiers, right, coming home to the U.S., but then you see a different flip side of this, you know, Iraqi man and him just trying to spend some time with his kids and missing some of their childhood, but just for the sake of trying to do the best by them. And so it's, it's, it's some tough things that were ha- that ha- they had to navigate there. And uh, so the different perspective that you're seeing. Yeah, we often forget that we are a free country. Iraqi pilot book is going to come out this time, sometime around the holiday, turn of the new year, hopefully. Um, Absolutely. So what, other than that project, what's uh, 2023 got in store for you? So I'm actually about two thirds done with my first uh, non-collaborative, all Lauren book that is a fiction uh, at... Let's say psychological thriller could be a way to say it, but it's more into uh, deep psychology. Uh, But it's a fiction book that takes place here, a mystery uh, here. And I'm placing it here in Turkey uh, with both American and Turkish characters. And I have loved writing and it's been one of my absolute favorites, a little dark at some places, but definitely has some metaphoric messages if you're one of those people that can catch it. And so uh, I'm very excited about that. It'll be translated both in English and in Turkish. So I'm thinking that one you can look for about first of the year and uh, the Flying the Tyrant should be out by the end of this year. So those are my first two. And then I have one other book project that I am in the contract part of that is probably one of my biggest stories I have ever done. I am very excited about it. Someone that I'm guessing every one of your listeners will know who it is. Uh, I'm not at liberty to share it, Mm. but that would definitely be a next summer to early fall uh, thing that'll take place. So uh, anyway, I might be flying to DC here in the next couple of months to get it started. uh, And hopefully soon I can talk about it a bit more. Okay, very cool. That sounds interesting. I'll be curious to see if I can figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so um, if people want to find out more and find out about these awesome releases that are getting ready to come out, the the pilot book, your first fiction book, um, and then, of course, uh, this very... uh, very awesome sound and kind of a tease of a book that you, uh, you know, talking about next year and flying sure. to DC. And I'm like, okay, that, you know, you, you at least narrowed it down to a location. Yeah, <laughs> a location. Yeah. I don't know if that'll help or not, but for sure. So, uh, if you want to follow me, uh, my website is laurenungeldi.com. So that's L A U R E N U N G E L D I.com. Uh, and the same, on social media, you can find me, Lauren Ngeldi, on Instagram. I don't do much with Facebook. I'm not a real active Facebooker or Twitterer, uh, but Instagram, I do a lot. And then I also post a lot about my travels around the world. So if you're interested in seeing some different places around the world, uh, and then for sure, some updates on my books and that kind of thing, you can find me on both of those and updates on what's coming out. I'll keep you up to date on the exact timing of the Flying the Tyrant release. And I'll be happy to send you as a thank you for having me on. Happy to send you a copy. Oh, uh, nice. Thank you so you can, much. Got it. We'll, we'll give you a, one of the pre-releases. So. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I love that. Um, I'm really excited for it. It just sounds so interesting. Uh, you know, the whole 
the whole idea of it. I can't imagine what it was like working with him. So um, thank you so much for your time. What this was amazing. Um, This was a blast. It was fun. I'm looking forward to, yeah. Thank you so much for sending a book. That'll be awesome. Like I'm really looking forward to that. And I'll, uh, I'll stay in touch and I'll let you know about the episode and uh, you know, we'll do, we'll do it again uh, next year. Anytime. Anytime. I'm always happy to hop on here and it's always great to catch up with you.